You're listening to Classroom Confessions with Katie Smith, a podcast where teachers share advice, encouragement, and the realities of today's classroom. All right, here goes nothing. Happy Saturday. Welcome to episode 12 of Classroom Confessions. Today we are going to be talking about student engagement and some different strategies to get and keep your students engaged in your lessons. So I'm glad you are here. If you are here every week, welcome. If you are new, Welcome. I'm glad you're here. So today we're going to jump into our weekly updates via our Rose, Thorn, and Bud um, this week because everything from my updates kind of fell into one of those categories. So if you're new with us, um, the Rose is something I do every week and the Rose is something good. I'm going to talk about a Thorn, which is something bad that happened that week, and then the Bud which is something I'm looking forward to for next week. I think it's really important as teachers to always have something to look forward to um, because we can get caught up in the monotony of day-to-day, the grading, the lesson plans, the all the things that we have to do. So um, I wanted to start off with my thorn this week. So I moved, so I now have a 30-minute commute to work, to and from work which is fine. That's what I used to do before at my first school. And so Monday I went out to my car and I got like a low tire pressure warning. So I was like, okay, cool. Awesome. Great. Uh, so I went to the gas station to fill it with air so I could get home. And, um, the first gas station I went to, of course the air didn't work because, the way the world works. So I went to the second gas station and it had some new fancy air tire pressure thingamabobby and it took me like half of the time the air was going to figure out how to put air in my tire because isn't that the way the world works. So um, finally got air in my tire. The pressure was fine. So I drove home, ran errands, taught swimming lessons, came home, went to bed, woke up the next morning. And I had another low tire pressure warning, same tire, except this time it was at 9 PSI. So obviously the warning didn't come on until I was in my car and leaving my complex. So I um, drove across the street, put air in my tire, and then I had a 30 minute commute to work. And this whole time I was being bitter Betty and I was like, if I wouldn't have moved across the city, this wouldn't have even been an issue because I could just call my friends who all live right here real close to work and I could get a ride to work or someone could come pick me up because everybody comes to work. But no, I'm 30 minutes away. I have to fill up my tire and now I have to pray that it doesn't blow as I'm driving to work. So as I'm driving to work, called my dad because nobody answered my texts for help in the morning. Um, because it was 6 a.m. Who's awake at 6 a.m.? And he was just like, okay, we'll just go get it fixed, which is great. Like, obviously, I need to go get it fixed. But, you know, just spent my whole savings moving. There's not really money in the budget to get a tire fixed. Um, anyhow, went and got myself some coffee and I was like, okay, I'll just take my car to Big O Tires. But they didn't open until 7. So I had to go wait in front of Big O Tires. 
for 30 minutes till they open and then call an Uber, Uber to work, work all day, teach homework club after school, go to our budget committee meeting for the school, then wait for my friend to come pick me up and then go get my car and go home. And it was just like, this week was already busy enough. I didn't need a tire, flat tire and no help. Um, on top of my already stressful week. So that was my thorn. Tires fixed. Big O tires didn't charge me. Thank goodness. But still like I was so stressed that day. I was just like you could have said hi and I would have cried. Like I'm tearing up now thinking about how stressed I was. Um, so yeah, that was great thorn in my week. But Um, some good things happened this week. So I live in Las Vegas and in Las Vegas, there is a women's business directory. And what I mean by that is there is a business directory, um, created by women for women to find women in the Las Vegas Valley to do business with. And, um, I was presenting at their bi-monthly member academy. And so all the members of the directory get invited to come and learn some new skills or learn some things. So um, this is actually my side hustle is I work with businesses and um, people to help them create effective and engaging presentations for their clients, whether it be corporate training, a presentation you have to give at work, a workshop you're leading, I'm available to help make sure that your presentation is thought through from start to finish um, and then that you are using strategies that are going to keep your audience engaged because how many of you go to professional development and you're like, oh my God, why am I here? What am I learning? What is the point of this? And so I really try and help these businesses create engaging materials and using my teaching background to do to do that because I have to keep 170 students engaged every single day for 180 days of the year. And then I also do technology PD at my school. So there's a lot that goes into creating effective and engaging presentations. And so I wanted to bring that to the business world. And so that's kind of my side hustle. So I presented at this member academy to about 12 women. Um, And I walked them through the steps of how to set a foundation for making sure that your presentation is meeting your business goals. So as teachers, we look at, well, what is our assessment? And so for you translate that to the business world and you just have different end games that you're looking at before you create your presentation. Um, so it seemed like everybody was engaged and everybody really liked it. So fingers crossed that this goes well and brings in some clients for my side hustle because last week told you teaching I don't think is it. But, you know, we'll see. Another rose to my week is Downton Abbey came out yesterday and my friend Kelly, who was on episode two or I think episode three of the podcast, um, we went to go see Downton Abbey and it was great. The movie was perfect. It was a perfect ending to the show. It was, I, you have to go see it. If you are a Downton Abbey fan, you have to go see it. It was so great. It was so great. So I definitely recommend going to see Downton Abbey. Um, My bud this week is... I have two. One, um, I don't have to do anything after work this week. I can just go to work and come home and do nothing. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. I really don't want to do anything after work. 
Um, there are like some little things I have to do around my apartment, but I think doing those things will make it feel more like home. So like hanging pictures and, um, decorating, putting all the tools away, making sure all the laundry is folded from all the moving stuff. So doing all the little things to make my house feel like home. So you're like, Katie, you said this is going to be about student engagement and all you've done is talk about yourself. And first of all, you're welcome. Second of all, I'm getting there. So here is our topic for today, student engagement. So I wanted to talk about student engagement because it's something that I talked about with the women on Wednesday. And I feel like it's important as teachers to make sure that we are ensuring that our students are engaged in the material that we are teaching. So when I was going to school and learning about English language learners, there's this thing called the affective filter. And the affective filter hinders the learning process for ELL students when they're trying to acquire a second language. And I don't know what it's called for non-ELL students, but here's what I'm defining it as. So it's this thing that students have this fear of being wrong. And so they don't want to participate. They know the answer, but they don't want to participate. And so to increase engagement and participation in the class, I have a few strategies for you. And you're like, Katie, I might have heard these before, but hopefully this podcast makes you think like, oh yeah, I'm going to go use that in my class on Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday or Thursday or never. Totally up to you. Just some things that I think could help in the classroom. So the first one is using post-its. And you're like, post-its? Yes, post-its. So you could pose a question to the class. I teach history. I'll use a math example for you. You could pose a question to the class, like, what is the absolute value of five? I don't know. I don't even know if that works out to be a problem. Let's just pretend it does or to have an actual answer. Let's just say the absolute value of 25. Absolute value of 25. What is it? And um, you could have students write their answers on a post-it and then put them up in the classroom, or like put them up in a specific area in the classroom. Then you as a teacher can be at the poster as kids are coming up and you can see which kids are getting the answer or not getting the answer. You can use it in English class. What do you think the author meant when he said, row, row, row your boat? Okay, so when you have students write down their answer, oh, this is what I thought the author meant when whatever. And they stick the post-it up on the board. And from that post-it activity, you could actually pull post-its that you find interesting and ask the students, well, what do you think? This is what I did this week. My kids are practicing writing thesis statements. So I had them all turn in thesis statements. And then I chose three that needed to be fixed. And I typed them up, no names, threw them up on the board. And as a class everybody participated in correcting the thesis statement. And so that student got feedback on their thesis statement. Um, so taking their names off of things, removing that um, need to verbalize their comments or verbally answer a question really helps lower that fear or that worry that they're going to say something wrong. Another thing is you can have, uh, this is, uh, play on think pair share so you can have them answer a question like um what does the author of row 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 your boat mean and you say turn to your partner and share your answer 
And then when you want class engagement, you ask the students to share their partner's answer. Because everybody is willing to share their friend's wrong answer. Nobody wants to share their wrong answer or their answer. But they will gladly, gladly share another student's answer. Because it's not theirs. There's no fear of being wrong because it's not theirs. It's somebody else's. Um, so sharing a friend's answer. Think, pair, share. Turn to your buddy. Turn to your seat partner. Tell them what you thought. That's always a great one. It gets kids talking. Um, we already talked about writing the answer for the teacher to read anonymously. So they put it up on the post-its and you would grab them. Or um, you could just have them turn in papers without their names on them. And as a teacher, you can read out their answers anonymously. Another way is you can walk around and see what students have written down. And have like a mini conference with the student like, Hey, buddy, I'm going to call on you to answer this question. I think you have a really good answer. So you build that confidence into them prior to calling on them. And then they think like, oh, well, Miss Smith already knows I have a good answer. So so I'm willing to share. Um, and so that's great as well. So another way to increase engagement is or struggle for increasing engagement, I should say, is getting students to engage with difficult material. I teach history as you know or maybe you don't know but I teach history and part of our standards are to get students engaging with primary and secondary sources. I don't know the last time you read a primary or secondary source but they are boring. Boring as heck and they're hard. They are super super difficult documents and so at me or not I turned it into a game. Um, because students then are more focused on the game portion. They forget all the complex tasks that they're doing when they're looking at the materials. So here's two examples. Um, this week I did a Who Discovered America activity because in the history world, it's not accepted that Christopher Columbus discovered America. Some people do, some people don't. Some people believe saying he discovered America. Some people believe the Vikings discovered America. Some people believe the Basque discovered America. Some people believe Amerigo Vespucci discovered America. And those are just five of the popular ones. Like, there are more out there. And I know you're probably sitting there going, Katie, they can't have discovered America because Native Americans already lived here. I hear you. I get that. Um, but we have to teach. Part of our standards is we have to teach that someone discovered America. So why am I just going to get up there and be like, Christopher Columbus discovered America? Um, so I make them figure out who they think discovered America. So I print out a primary source, a map, <clears throat> sorry, a primary or secondary source. I try to get primaries. Um, a map, a QR code that takes them to a video about that explorer and why that explorer discovered America. Then I crumple them all up, put them in a paper bag, and give the students the bag. And they have to work their way through the bag and pull out information from the bag that says that their person discovered America. So um, not only are they faced with reading a primary source, but then they also do the work that historians do every day. So historians aren't given pristine documents to look at, so I don't give the students pristine documents to look at. They're all crumpled and don't make sense. And it's hard. It's hard for them to look at, but they enjoy the process of trying to figure out how to do that. This is the first year I had a couple kids um, actually use the URL that printed at the bottom of the source or the map and look it up online. 
great, great use of resources. That's probably exactly what historians would do if they had access to those kinds of materials. Um, another way that I get them to interact with primary and secondary sources is during the Civil War. So I don't know if I get to teach the Civil War this year because our standards changed, as you know, or don't know, but now you do. Um, but what I do is I print out uh, these primary sources from the California History Social Science Project Blueprint, and they have information on all the major battles of the Civil War. I choose eight, and um, I put all of my desks in eight groups, and at the group, I put a white piece of paper with the battle name, and then I print out copies of the battle information from the blueprint, and I leave that on the desks. Um, when students come in, the lights are off. It's pretty much pitch black in my room because I'm in a portable, so there's no emergency light. So it's pretty much pitch black in my room um, when they do this activity. And they have to read the source and pull out information. Like, who were the leaders? When did the battle happen? Um, I think it's like, how did they win? What was the impact it had on the war? So, And there's, I think there's like two more questions. Um, and so it's pitch black in my room. I play these awful Civil War songs. Um, and then their timer... To when their timer goes off, um, it's civil. It's like the Civil War gunshots, um, which just sound like or cannons, um, and then I yell like I'm their sergeant that they have to move, and when they move, they are not allowed to walk. They have to crawl on the ground because of enemy fire, um, and they have to get to the next station before their, before the people behind them get to their table and so throughout the process um people might stand up and if they stand up they they quote unquote die and they go to the cemetery and fill out a gravestone um and so throughout this process the kids are so excited about the game that they forget that they're reading primary and secondary sources difficult ones at that and by the end they have a sheet of information on the eight major battles of the civil war um, and all the information they would ever need to know about it. So in doing that, kids become engaged in the material. The last way that you can keep kids engaged is by making it relevant to their lives. Um, so say you want to talk about um, the First Amendment, the right to protest, right? You could totally bring in the Colin Kaepernick issue. Everybody's still talking about it. Everybody still knows about it. Um, so kneeling, is that okay? Is that allowed? Should it be allowed? Is it his right to kneel? Um, it's relevant today. Um, and so just making the material as relevant to the people you are teaching, to the kids in front of you that you are teaching. Sorry for my voice today. I'm like getting stuffy. The weather here is changing in Vegas, which is great because now it's getting cooler, but taking a toll on my sinuses. Um, so I'm going to be posting these strategies on my website. The website is classroomconfessions.net. There's an episode page and a resources page. They'll be posted on both for you guys. Um, and it'll just be a listing of my strategies for you. So this week I chose a quote from Benjamin Franklin. And the quote says, tell me and I forget. Teach me 
and I remember, involve me, and I learn from Benjamin Franklin. And I thought this tied really well into our engagement piece. If you are just giving students worksheets or just lecturing the whole time, I want to encourage you to try and get your students more engaged in their own learning, whether it's through research or doing um, projects or talking to their neighbors. There's different ways to get your students involved in their learning. And so this week, take those words of Benjamin Franklin and try and put them into practice. So once again, he said, tell me and I forget, teach me and I remember, involve me and I learn. Thank you guys for listening today. Just as a reminder, you can listen to us on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and Radio Public. And if you are liking what you are hearing, please leave us a review. Um... All of the resources, again, will be available on classroomconfessions.net. And you can find me on Facebook and Instagram at Classroom Confessions Podcast. So just a reminder this week, you are alive, you are kind, you are patient, you are wonderful, you are fearless, you are important, you can teach anything, you can be anything, and you can change the world. You're doing the damn thing. You've made it another week. Bye, y'all.